All right, this conversation is being brought to you by our friends over at Rev1. Rev1's mission is to help entrepreneurs build great companies. As you navigate the waters of business entrepreneurship, you don't have to go it alone. A strategic partnership with Rev1 connects innovators to the talent, customers, space, and funding you need when you need it. Get started with Rev1's startup studio by visiting www.rev1ventures.com to learn more. Again, that's rev1ventures.com. And support also comes from our friends at Nationwide. Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsureTechs that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, visit nationwideventures.com to learn more. Nationwide is on your side. Six One Four Startups Nation, welcome to a very special episode of the Six One Four Startups Podcast, guys. You've seen us on virtual for the last year, and I brought a very special guest to inaugurate our return to in-person sessions. I got my man Dan Snyder, co-founder of Lower in Studio. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. No pressure. No pressure whatsoever. But you're used to the big time, though, dude. <laughs> It's not like you're running a little small operation over there at Lower, but before we get there, we got to get to know you a little bit. So why don't you start with a, a bit of your personal background? Uh, so today, um, I'll start with a little bit different. So today I live in New Albany, married, I have uh, twins that are seven. And seven's significant because seven years ago, I started my company. And so it was, uh, um, it was a, definitely a wild, 2013 going into 2014 when I had left a, a you know a normal job I'll put it that way and then decide I co-found what was then Homeside and you know we're we're I'm quitting my uh, quitting my job going off into entrepreneur land full time and then you know my wife's like hey knock knock I think I'm pregnant and we go to the doctor and he's like guess how many heartbeats there are and we're like there's two and there's twins and and then it was like holy smokes this is about to get real like you know so I got that was like probably the most complicated partnership of my whole life and um, uh, it's been amazing but I, I grew up in Akron Ohio um, in a great family uh, my uh, went to well in seventh grade my dream was to be a lawyer I was like, my mom's a lawyer. She went to law school when I was like maybe 12. So I kind of watched her go to law school. That was like a dream. And then went to OU, Bobcats, um, with the 100% intention to graduate as fast as humanly possible. I was a marketing major because I was, initially I was an English major uh, because it was the easiest. Because I was good at English. Then I decided like, yeah, English in college actually is really hard. It was like Shakespeare, and I was like, oh boy. Pivot to marketing. Marketing then was like challenging and yet like productive, I felt like. And um, graduated in just over three years. 
spent my life savings on a, like the Kaplan LSAT class, studied for like the rest of the year, and then ended up taking the LSAT, did okay, but I needed to make some money. And so I took a job with uh, Wells Fargo out of college um, up here in, in Columbus in Westerville. So it was like on the corner of Schrock Road and Cleveland Avenue. Mm-hmm. And so it was, I was like, I'll just work here for a year, save up some money, and uh, then I'll go to law school. And uh, within that year, a lot of things happened. I ended up like figuring out that, you know, uh, that, that you, you, what you put into work, you end up being, and you can be successful. Like, it doesn't really matter where you work, it can be kind of fun. And uh, got promoted. And then realized that like the only reason I wanted to be a lawyer really was just to tell all my friends that I was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up sticking in the mortgage business. And here we are today. Yeah, so when you say sticking in the mortgage business, right, of all of the companies that you could have worked for in Columbus, because we're kind of a financial town, right? You yeah. got the insurance side of the world, you got the banking side of the world, big established names. And then you have Wells Fargo, a West Coast company. Why of all the places you could have gone to work, did you choose Wells Fargo? I have no idea. Okay. I, I literally had, they interviewed me uh, at campus and I had heard of them. I, I didn't do any investigation into like where the location was. For all I knew, it was like, you know, a Fortune 50 company. And uh, it was the first place I interviewed. And they were like, yep, great. And my, I was going to go to law school, so it wasn't going to be my long-term goal. Uh, but what I found was the exact opposite of what you described. Like, it wasn't like I was going to chase in the high-rise tower. Mm-hmm. I, it was, I showed up to work on a Monday, and it was, um, you know, I'm expecting, like, I'm a college graduate and all these things. And I, I, I it, my office, I show up at like eight to be early. Little I know on Mondays, they work 10 to seven and no one told me. And um, I, I'm sitting in there in the parking lot, like calling my mom or something like, no one's even here. And then I ended up, they come in at like 9.45 and it's in a strip mall in between like the raisin rack and the tanning salon. And it, it well, is what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I came, I grew up in a pretty humble family um, I shined shoes is like a part-time job. Like it is, you know, like it wasn't, I wasn't looking for like the big, you know, corner office. I was just looking for a good spot to grow. And Yeah, you were looking for opportunity, yeah, right? Because yeah. again, it was a short-term decision. You were going to go to law school, but then you get into it. Now, what attracted you to it? So like, I, I know there wasn't a plan to go work, work for any one institution. You were looking at opportunities, but you said... Once you got to Wells Fargo, you discovered that whatever work you find, you get out of it what you put into it. And you kind of found a passion for the work that you were doing. But did you go in and started off in the mortgage business at Wells Fargo? Did you transition into it? And then what were some of the early lessons that really helped you turn the corner from this being a short term thing to really committing? So the the, like what, what I learned there is probably, I still apply today, so big credit to them. And what, what the, the job wasn't mortgage, it was um, finance, across multiple things. There was like credit cards, auto loans, same like sales finance, and they really didn't do mortgage until a, 
like maybe a, a year or so into where I was there. But what I liked about it was their passion of training new hires in financial services. It was something that like a lot of the other banks weren't doing and um, at least recruiting out of OU. And, and Wells was like, look, we're gonna, we know you have no experience, but we're gonna take you through our training program and we're gonna teach you how to help consumers with their financial needs and help, and, and you have a career path. And it's very the same principles that, that we apply today here at Lower. Of we, we hire in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have no background in mortgage experience because nobody in seventh grade is saying that when I grow up, I want to work in the mortgage industry. Because, and, and if they did, their parents are probably like, what? Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Are you kidding me? You're going to put like, pretty much anything else. So you don't get anyone that's dreaming of doing it. You get people dreaming of lawyer, doctor, architect, veterinarian, astronaut, whatever. Like, and uh, it's a struggle we still have today, but it's a great profession and it's a, obviously a gigantic market, if not the largest asset class in the United States. And, you know, it's been, you know, us and some others are like popularizing it now to where we're, it's easier for us to attract recent college grads into this. But, but I think it's just their open-mindedness and like the, uh, that attracted me to Wells. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not talking about your personal story, but I'm going to throw you a little bit of a, a, a dangerous underhand here about Wells Fargo because they were in the news now for some things that weren't too uh, on the up and up in terms of attracting young people, training them up in the system, and then uncovering that some things were being sold to people that, you know, they either didn't say that they wanted or maybe it wasn't appropriate for them. So looking back at that time and working for organizations, like a young person might come on board to an organization, not saying you saw any of this, what was your feeling as some of those things began to be revealed? Was that during your time there after you left and having been somebody who worked there in that company really teach you the business, how did that impact you? I, I think that like in, in all business, there's a, there's a, a line of performance and then there's a line of like where it becomes like deceptive and illegal. I mean, it's one thing to, like when we were there, it was definitely a high performance. Like um, if you do an auto loan for a customer, offer them the insurance, right? Like, okay, got it. What I think, I, and I was exited out of Wells by 2007, like way before I think a lot of this stuff happened. I, we didn't, see, and we were in their, let's say a forgotten place in the country. I mean, Westerville, Ohio, wasn't exactly San Francisco. Uh, but I do think that there was, it was high performance. What I, what I had heard, and I, and I think that there, like, there's others, like where they were like signing people up for accounts and the customers didn't even know they had the accounts. So that seems like just bad business. Mm-hmm. Like we, we were never doing that. I mean, <laughs> okay, that would be a... Yeah, but, but, you know, I always look back like, man, if I, if I work somewhere and they end up being in that kind of situation, you know, how would I feel? And that's why I kind of th- threw that to you. But I want to pivot a little bit. So you, you cut your teeth at Wells. What's next for you professionally after that time? So I had um, a, cu- a couple executives at Wells left and went to a place called American Bank. And it was like a small bank in D.C., and 
I, I, the reason I left Wells is because I had met my wife and my family's from Ohio. And in order to go and become the CEO of Wells Fargo, because um, I really was, I wanted to just push myself until the wheels fell off. And I, you can't do that without moving. Like, and I, I just wasn't interested in moving to Iowa or California. And it just didn't interest me. And so at that, as soon as you start turning jobs down at those big companies, like, eh, I'm not, really, not going to relocate. Mm-hmm. You're, you've, you've just gone down rungs. So I left. I was, I was doing good at Wells. I leave. I go to American Bank. And um, my co-founder now, Mike, he, had, he recruited me over to American Bank. And he was there. And we built up what is like the consumer lending division for this place. And I, I did it in Columbus which is great. And we built it up and we had a great, a lot of the same folks that work with me today helped me do it there. Um, and uh, did that from, that was like true mortgage. That's when I first got into like actual FHA and Fannie Mae and I'd heard of these terms. Before that, I was really not in it. And it was in, I think I'm gonna get this all wrong, but like it was somewhere in between like 2000, like I think February of 07, like to fact check me. but. I started um, building out this mortgage division with um, my partner, Mike. And two weeks later, like Freddie Mac stopped buying loans and Lehman Brothers goes out of business and the entire crisis happens. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's like, I never got to participate in these uh, crazy loans. And, and, uh, but I think I'm probably better off for it. I mean, literally built up during the hardest of times and you could see the industry like professionalizing and the, what, anybody could go get a loan and then it shrunk down to nobody could get a loan and then you had to really kind of fight for it. Like every, tons of product went away and tons of, you know, a lot of companies went away, you know? And, you know, you had, um, I, I was probably better off for it during my career, but I loved that place. And we were a top place to work in Columbus. No one had ever heard of and uh, grew it. And it just got to a point where the bank was, I think the bank at the end of the day was uncertain on their own future. Like, you know, they were, they liked what we were doing on the mortgage side, but they were also cautious because they might want to be acquired, which ultimately Mm -hmm. did happen. And um, in like 2013, I decided that, you know, the the old saying, if you're not growing, you're dying. And uh, I truly believe it. And I was up in front of my team we do like an annual awards. And I would, I, up in front of my team, and I'm like, here's where we're headed. I was always pretty good at like casting the vision. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time like that, like the, like that awards, whenever it was in the fall of 13, I was like, like golly, like I'm not sure if, I don't believe my words. And that, I just knew right then at that moment, it was just time. Mm-hmm. And so after looking around at some different spots, I didn't see any, I didn't want to be in that position again. I didn't want to be like, not that I had to own my own company, but like, I just didn't want to be pressured into not growing or growing too fast and have more control over the vision and put up our shingle. Yeah. Then add twins. <laughs> then it was like, oh yeah. boy, there goes my life savings. Let me <laughs> ask you this. So Wells, you learn about recruiting, the college recruiting process mm-hmm. and how successful that can be. You also learn about the need to train up your folks, having a robust training uh, program. Then you go to your next um, 
professional step and you run smack dab into the worst crisis that your industry has ever faced. Yeah. What did you learn, right, about what it takes to weather a storm? And why do you think you guys were able to make it through to the other side where you would have even an opportunity in 2013 still working for the same company to make the decision that you made that now was the time for you to move on? You know, I mean, like, I could say that, you know, winners win and blah, blah, blah. I really do think that it's, um, it's easier, I think, to give, it's easier to change or give up um, than really, like, lock down and endure. Like, and that's, I think, to some extent why I, I, it was so attractive for me to go and apply what I did at Wells or what they did at Wells. And I kind of copied the model. I'm like, I'm going, I'm going to go and build my own team. And I will paint the vision like of this is where we can take things. Like now's the time, like everyone's fleeing the space. And it's not like this isn't like the government stepped in and like, it's not like homes are going away. And, but here's maybe a new approach to it. We're gonna take a little more professional approach. We wore like suits and ties and like we had formal hours and we had expectations on customer service and we paid salaries. And our industry for the longest time was commission only, zero barriers to entry, like no career path. And I think changed the game on that a bit. And then anyone that was gonna complain, like goodbye. Mm -hmm. like, I wish we had this product. I wish we could do this. Back in the day, like we wouldn't even have to verify the income. And I'm like, okay, no. I was always very like, we're gonna focus on today and then tomorrow and just getting better. Um, and then, then it's about surrounding people that believe in that too. And uh, like the, my uh, first hire, this guy named Brian Zemer, big shout out to BZ. He, uh, so this is a true story. This is like, I am now like, I don't even know, 25. I've gone, my mom thinks this is like, truthfully, the worst decision of my life. I've left Wells, where I have to, like, Westerville, Ohio was 16th in the country. Like, we're like in between LA and Seattle, like Westerville, because we had a good team. And I leave and I like, cut my salary in half and, and I go to this place no one's ever heard of, American Bank. And, then the financial crisis and all this stuff happens. And so everyone's asked me like, okay, what are you gonna do? Who are you gonna hire? You need to hire salespeople. I'm like, I need to hire somebody who knows what they're doing. And so I put a Craigslist ad out for like, you know, mortgage person, mortgage processor or something. And um, this guy, Brian applied and he, I meet with him and it's in, like I have, it's just in the, like I don't have a fancy office or anything. I'm just like my raw human, I'm like, look. He, and he had his own company, mortgage company for a while. And I'm like, I don't have a bunch of money to pay you, but I need somebody that understands what FHA is and Fannie Mae and what a loan is. And like, this is a roll up your sleeves, like you'd have to like process loans. But this is where I see us going. Like we will be the number one lender in Columbus and nationally, and we're gonna have a great culture and we're gonna have amazing offices and all this stuff. 
and he took a chance. Uh, he, I mean, it was like a lot, like if I look back, I don't even know what we paid. Like it was probably like a, such a slap in his face. Like he was a, his own, he had his own company for several years and he, you know, a really good track record and, you know, and today he oversees all operations for all of Lower and all of our companies. So what is it now, like 15 years later? Now, you know, you had to say it to him with a straight face, yeah. that offer. But why do you think he didn't scoff at it? What was it about? Because you keep saying... He did. He's like... Oh, okay. He goes, oh, God, that's not very much. I'm uh -huh. like, well, I'm like, if, if we do better, I'll pay you more. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like... But he, why did he believe it? Because it's one thing to get a, a, a perceived lowball offer or a real lowball offer and, and, and feel disrespected by it. Or you could receive a lowball offer, but it could be presented in such a way. Because startup founders have to learn how to do this and do this well. The casting of the vision and offering something that isn't kind of the monetary upfront, yeah. but the investment in building something that matters. Why do you think BZ, right, didn't walk away and decided to build with you? Yeah, I, I think there's a, probably a point in time in a, in a, where maybe in a different, like I think if you're a startup and you're a founder, you're, you're like I didn't even have equity to give. And um, I think there's a, probably a time I think first that you have to be really a humble person. You have to be, and you have to be very, there's no point, there's no point like bullshitting. Like you just say, hey, look, like I don't have any, I don't have an office. I don't have enough, I have nothing. However, here's the underlying reasons on why I left this, my great career. Like this is why I'm betting on myself. And here's why I think you should bet on me. I could be completely wrong, but what do you have to lose? Like that's kind of how I think that, if I'm trying to attract somebody really good, that what are you having to lose? Like at any moment, you can go back and get your job at a safe job at Chase or a safe job at Fifth Third Bank or Nationwide Insurance. Great, all great companies, but that's like the downside option. This is an opportunity that not very many people get to like start up and ride a company. And I think that a lot of either Usually what happens is the founders are, I, I think, I mean, they're like too proud or, you know, they can't explain the big risk they took. I mean, I was, it was a shock when I left Wells that I left and I had like the, maybe the track record, even though it was a four year track record to explain to Brian, like, hey, look, like this is what I left to do this. So I do think it's just about being yourself, explaining the vision and and then living up to it, like I, I told him, as soon as I possibly can, we'll get you back to where you need to be financially. And we did. And then that's it. Yeah. It's a skill, right? It, it, I think you, people who do things well, it either comes very naturally to them or because they do it well, they feel it's so simple to do, right? Like how you articulated it, you were very honest up front, you kind of Humility is a big key in being a founder. But the fact that you got somebody who was knowledgeable, professional, mm -hmm. was going to execute on day one to actually buy in to your vision is not something that you could easily overlook. And I'm going to come back to that because I'm sure it played a role 
in building the company that you've built because everyone starts somewhere. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to start the lower origin story. Got it. All right, guys, let's all be honest with ourselves. How many times have you needed to get an oil change, clean your car, get a tire rotation, and you put it off for weeks on end? We're all guilty of it. Maybe you're coding over at Fuse, you just can't get to the garage, all right? My friends over at Vont set out to make delayed car care a thing of the past and created the most convenient and affordable way to care for your car. All you have to do is, one, book your service and desired pickup time, Two, drop off your keys with a certified Vont driver who picks up your car for you, and then your car will be serviced and delivered back to you within three hours. That could be a detail and an oil change or other service. From now on, the only thing you have to worry about is where you're going and who you're going with. Look, guys, I'm telling you, this is the future. Try out Vont, V-O-H-N-T, dot com, and use the code 614STARTUPS to get 20%. No, that's increased. 25% off your first service, all right? Now, this conversation is also being brought to you by our friends at Color Coded Labs. It's time for a better career in tech. Introducing Color Coded Labs, a 16-week boot camp that does more than teach basic code. It's a program designed to help you actually get a career in tech. At Color Coded Labs, we've removed all the barriers to help you learn the skills you need to start a career you love in weeks not years. All designed for people of color by people of color. Apply now at colorcodedlabs.com. Welcome back to the 614 Startups Podcast. I'm having this fascinating uh, conversation with my guest, Dan Snyder, co-founder of Lower. All right, we've talked about your personal background, your professional background, lots of lessons there, lots of gems there, lots of things that probably prepared you to take the next leap, which is to leave a company, American Bank, where you've built a team, you guys are knocking it out of the park, but there's just something missing. Yeah. So talk about the transition from that to the company that is lower at this point. Yeah, so it was, um, I think it's just one of those moments where, like, so like backing up, this is probably like 2013, and at that point, I knew, like, we're not growing. Like, the, comp the bank itself doesn't want to do the necessary things that help us grow. I talked to my partner, Mike, who was the one that recruited me there, and I'm just open and honest. I'm like, look, this isn't going to be for me. And he's, like, kind of feeling the same thing. And so we ended up um, exploring some options together. We were very transparent with the, the current CEO at the time, which is important. We didn't try to, like, pull the whole rug out from under him. We're like, look, we're gonna, we ended up a, a few folks like Brian, like BZ and a couple of their folks, they were like, look, we're, we're going with Dan, we're going with Mike. We're gonna take the risk on this next step journey. And um, it was a very amicable split. American Bank uh, ended up still, you know, thriving after we left. Ends up getting sold to, I think, a place called Congressional Bank. And, you know, like the rest is history, but Super patriotic, right? American Bank gets I know, sold dude. to Congressional I know. Bank. All right, they're keeping it consistent. <laughs> I was I didn't name them. Um, so we so 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 Mike and I uh, end up partnering with a couple other guys, and with the, they were kind of like, look, let's create a next gen mortgage bank, and 
we called it Homeside. And we're like, we're gonna build this great platform where you know, mortgage professionals across the country that are tired of working with their, their old banks, they want a fresh start, they want a career path, they want you know, no ceiling. Like, they're gonna just plug into our environment, and we'll be a great platform for them, and we'll be a top 20 lender by 2020. That was like the thing, like technology and a handshake. And we, so we, we started it, we had a, a handful of folks from our American bank that took the leap and they all went from, you know, big teams and, you know, great paychecks back down to individual contributors and no paycheck really. And I, just as, the similar thing when Brian took that chance back on back with American Bank, they just took a chance on this. Like, this is our opportunity to, they saw what we did at American Bank, this is our opportunity to really do it on our own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started it and we were up at, it was a weird transition because, you know, even though we knew the space, it's, it's I remember like, you've got to still get all the licensing and you've got to, file all the paperwork and do all of the business things that, um, that are just hard to do. You don't, there's no like playbook for them. And even with some resources, it's still just like very arduous. And you, you're, you're, it's not like we're, we had, we're in the mortgage industry, so there's no like big funding or facilities, especially that time, that we could, so it was just like we put our own personal capital in, bootstrapped this thing, and, um, and grew it. And we were up at at Easton in like a temporary space, I still have the pictures, um, where it was like this old, dirty, cords everywhere, and we're trying to, we're all wearing suits and ties. And it is literally like, I don't even know why, looking back now, it's like, what were we doing? Mm -hmm. But we were all fairly young, we're trying to like present this image. And so we'd bring people in to interview, like, hey, here's what we're doing. And because now we need like, you know, full IT, you know, an IT, head of IT, and a head of all these different positions because we're having our own company now, right? Like, we don't have the infrastructure. And so I, do I, I'm like, come on into our, our headquarters, let me show you. Like, and they would, like, step over the cords and the stained carpet, and, like, we'd go into this office, I'd interview them. Now, I was saying, like, look, in the future, just picture seven years where, on. Um, We've taken over the Bob Evans headquarters and it's glass and there's a campus and all this stuff like we have today. But it's hard to project that and actually hit it. And, you know, we built up the team and we just did the kind of applied the same principles mm-hmm. and uh, grew that. And then in 2018, you see like, the, like you could call it like my direct consumer background hits like is like hits like where you see things happening like in 2018 we didn't have a pandemic to push us but everyone was starting to say like all right i feel way more comfortable getting along with rocket they were like the leader mm-hmm. and there's really no one else and we decided we i went back to like i'll never forget this i went to my team i was like we're gonna go compl- we're gonna have a complete digital offering we need a new name we need new infrastructure, everything. That's what we're gonna do. 
Like we're going to, you call like pivot or change or whatever. Like we keep home side, keep growing. We have centralized services and let's do this. And they came up with lower and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I'm like, as long as we get the domain, because I could picture it like on national radio and national stuff. Like if you want a lower rate on your home, on your refi or whatever, go to lower.com, mm -hmm. easy. And uh, I was able to secure it. I will tell you, here's a tip, pro tip. You want to secure a domain that's like five letters, don't do it yourself. Don't hire a broker. I had, I had our IT guy do it. Like not, not like an engineer or flashy. I had our like head of IT and infrastructure who's just a very level-headed non-salesman. And so they, because it's a very much a sales thing. And we were able to get it for fair, like, because those things go for so much money. It was a key to this. So like we ended up, um, and now, now we sit after our investment with Lower as the company. We have you know, Lower.com, our direct-to-consumer offering. Uh, we have Homeside, and it's our largest uh, brand of, of channel partners in, in, our, in our retail footprint. And um, we have 18 other brands, and we'll keep adding more. And uh, we have a, 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 we're building out, we have a servicing channel where we service the majority of our loans, and then we've got a, um, a mortgage as a service vertical. But all of these things all are now kind of all under one roof, family of companies, and it's awesome. Let's talk about problem. So you start a mortgage company, it's one product. Buy a house, need a loan, that's a mortgage. Rocket does it, your bank does it, a bunch of new emerging companies online do it, that's the product. But the problem, sounds like to me, was disenchanted mortgage professionals who were sick of working in the status quo. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was the differentiator the end product that the consumer experienced? Or was it the experience that somebody working for Homeside had? What was the product that you were selling? And what do you think contributed to that early success to go from a brand new startup to where you built it to before starting lower? Yeah, so I think on the, the with our channel partners, um, which is kind of home, like Homeside, and we have a number of other brands, your, your customer is your, your professional loan originator, realtor builder. Mm -hmm. Like, that's your customer. Then you're basically optimizing to them, creating an amazing platform for them to help their customers because they're, they're relentlessly passionate about their customers because their customers, whether it's a loan originator, their customers could be a builder and a realtor group, and they have to serve the customer. And so we just created the red carpet experience, and we still do today, and we bring in, I think we brought on like six new channel partners last week, one in Austin, Texas, one in Dallas, uh, I think one in Miami, Florida, where, you know, these are almost like if you could picture like million dollar listing type of uh, personalities. Mm -hmm. And they work maybe for a, a different, maybe they work for a big brand, like a Chase or someone, like another, um, and we just say like, look, w w join us. Well, you can connect into the platform, which is lower, 
now or home at the time. And we'll create a brand around you. And we'll, we'll serve your customer by serving you and serving your loan and making sure the whole thing goes great. And that's, what, that's how we started. Like we started just purely knowing like, okay, for us to grow our channel partners, Homeside, we have to just be the, the anti-bank. Like we're gonna treat you like a king or a queen. Mm-hmm. When the bank doesn't care about mortgage people. And that was a differentiator. We grew. And now with Lower, it's the opposite. Okay. So just to touch on Homeside before we pivot to Lower again. So you, you recruit the, the, the team of really, really good people, knowledgeable, et cetera, building on the experiences that you had before. You bring them in. I'm sure you're training them like crazy to make sure that they um, are a good representation of the brand that you're building, the culture that you want to br- build at Homeside. And your initial product offering was focused on these channel partners. Yeah. That's at home side. Yeah. But Rocket starts buying arenas, putting names on, not buying, putting names on arenas, and the light bulb, go, light bulb goes off that says, hey, there's, a, there's another channel through which people are getting oh, yeah. mortgage loans. Let's pivot into this digital offering. Yeah. Um, why did you feel like you could do it too. Because that's sometimes chasing the shiny object, right? You have this business, you're growing it, you decide to pivot into something completely different. Even though the initial um, uh, part of your initial strategy was to have that platform and a handshake, why the pivot? Did you see any dangers at the time? Uh, What were some of the things that you ran into to really make Lower successful? Yes, so... There was a lot of there's a lot of naysayers on that. Like they're like just focus on the one thing. And I think that that is really good advice. I, there is a shiny object syndrome, and like I think it plagues the um, the ADD entrepreneur. It's just that I think there's opportunities to to where you it it's all timing. Like we had we had built up the flywheel. I mean. We had leadership and home sides operating. We had centralized services that could handle another channel. Like we had our human resource department and finance department and capital markets. And like we were, I mean, we had, I think 800 people, 900 people at the time. Like there was a time, like we had it. Like we had to say, okay, it's not really, we know how to do the core product. And now, like, let's just go for it. Like, and we also look at it like, um, um, you know, the, there's a, when you look back at, you, you take like, like Under Armour, which is founded in Baltimore, and my partner Michael is there, so it's kind of close to home. And we, he and I talk about this a lot. Like, there was Nike, and Under Armour never overtook Nike. But my gosh, they came out of nowhere and they got right up there. And, you know, like, could we be the Under Armour to rocket the Nike? And that was our thing. Like, maybe. Like, we know what we're doing. We're not so big that we've crossed this chasm of no return. And uh, we were hungry. And we had a lot of, like, because we develop our leaders from within, like, at some point, if we, you don't figure out ways to grow, 
If you don't grow, then your leaders are going to leave. <laughs> I mean, so you've got to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a, like, you know, we get, bring in people and you can keep a good culture and you can keep promoting people and bringing in great talent and keep them there as long as there's, inc- there's consistent growth. The minute you're like, well, you know, this segment of the business is working great and we're just we're happy with that. From an ownership group, it's perfect, it's enough money. And well, then like 50% of your leadership may just exit and go to your competitor because they're not just gonna sit around. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I think helps fuel our growth. It's like this, like we're gonna try to take this as, as big as we can. And, and so now you enter in with lower and home side continues to grow and our other brands continue to grow. But then it was lower in the direct consumer that really, I would say like put us on the map. Yeah. So I want to stick with lower because I know all, it's like all, all these brands are like your kids. You can talk about yeah, let's them. Let's talk lower. Oh, yeah, let's, let's, let's focus on lower. Yep. Um, let's talk about the value proposition of lower, but couch that in the life of the customer that you serve, your ideal customer, right? What is your value proposition to that ideal customer? And then what does the world of financial services look like for that person? What is their experience of the financial industry and how do you serve them? So our, our, our value proposition is it's, it's, we're gonna make it easier for you to buy your house or refinance your house. Like, like in terms of access to products, speed, cost, um, comfort, and usability, like, like you, you can do it from your home. Um, you can, you, so you don't have to be afraid if you get turned down and go through all sorts of things and go downtown to the bank and walk away turned down. Like you can just apply on our web, on our app. And, and if you don't qualify or it's not the right time, then we have other products that you can go and, and you can start saving money in our in our savings account, it's an FDIC insured savings account, that will, like, maybe you don't have enough money for your down payment, or you're too early, then just, you can save a little bit of money every month. We have an insurance product. So if you don't have, say, renter's insurance, or once you get a mortgage, you, we can attach your insurance very easy. And we, it's not a marketplace, like we're not a lead seller, it's our company. Mm-hmm. And then we've got um, a real estate brokerage where we'll match you with a realtor, if you're moving or buying a second home, you don't have, like, if you have a realtor relationship, fantastic. If you don't, we'll help you. And then by doing that, it's a bundled, more economic approach for us, and it's a seamless experience for the customer. And so it's really, if you want a lower stress, come to us. I keep saying to our marketing team, like, that seems like a good idea, but mm-hmm. they don't listen to me anymore. So they, It's out I, of your hands now. I know. I'm like, yeah. it is lower stress. Like, you don't. You can, it doesn't really matter. If you're a, uh, maybe curious and you're, because your roommate's annoying and you're like, my gosh, I am curious if I could go buy my own house. Like I was once upon a time when I was like 25, then you can go to lower.com and you can, you know, fill out some information and then we'll, we'll talk you we'll talk to you about the pros and cons. And you can get some real life advice. Like, is this the time or not? Or if you're like my parents and you're in your 60s and you're empty nesters and you're familiar with using Netflix, 
like, you can use us. That's why I, I think we're probably like millennial and Gen Z obvious, but like the barriers to entry of the housing market are so high that like we just kind of, we try to cater to like, if you are cool with like YouTube TV and Netflix, like you'd like us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you, can, you can do this too. You can do this too with us. <laughs> right. If you, you're right. Now, so the assumption or it's, it's easy to peg you guys as a company focused on serving millennials. You want to dispel that. You want to serve everybody because the value proposition here is not just for millennials. It's for anybody who wants to buy a home. Yeah. But we still live within a reality of that home ownership may not be as available to everyone uh, like it used to be, right? For any number of reasons. If you take the millennial generation, you're dealing with issues like student loan debt. People are pulling, putting off um, housing because of that. Or lifestyle choices, right? Hey, I just don't wanna own a home because, like you said, even in the banking industry, mobility is the key, being able to move to a city for new opportunities. From where you sit, let's talk about where we are mm -hmm. as a society. What, what do you feel about the opportunities for home ownership? And how are you thinking about how that's gonna affect your business as more and more of the people who might ultimately apply for a mortgage opt out of that? So, I mean, it, it, no question. I mean, I think that the, there's a bunch of fringe things that are uh, maybe affect home ownership. But the number one thing is inventory, lack of inventory, the lack of simply the crash happened and building didn't happen. It, did not, it didn't happen at the rate it needed to, um, to catch up with the, or to meet the demand of which is like the late stage millennial who's like now 35. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's now having kids, married, and saying, holy smokes, like I'm going to be a homeowner. I need to be, have my own home. Think, um, so there's just an inventory problem. I, and it, we're years away from that catching up. Um, I think there's also a, an aging problem where, uh, you know, folks are, I mean, if you're an older, if you're older and you have the option now to go and have like in-home care versus like going to the hospital or go to a nursing home, I think a lot of people are electing for in-home care. And so they're staying in their home and there's just less inventory. And then there's a whole bunch of current like macro issues, like the government uh, preventing, um, you know, foreclosures or preventing evictions, you know, for, for if you're a tenant, all these things that are probably in a, to some extent, a good thing. But I, you know, I think if you're if you can't pay your mortgage, and your bank's gonna foreclose, like now would be the time to take advantage of because you could probably sell your house quickly mm -hmm. and it would open up more inventory. So how, how do I think about it? I mean. So it's like, it sounds to me like some of the things that I raised in terms of hesitation from millennials or student loan debt, it feels to you more transient than the real issue of the day, which is issues around there's more demand and supply. There's more demand than supply. And I, I also think that there's going to be there's just, you just see it with, like the millennials will be the largest home buying population. And then the Gen Z's will eventually buy houses. I think there's, you're probably gonna have more of a, a speed, you know, a, a maybe more appetite because you can now go work any, anywhere. And I think people are seeing how fast you can sell a house. So like if you're, 
If you theoretically were prepared and you bought a home in Columbus, and then you got a job offer tomorrow in Austin, Texas, you're probably more likely to be able to sell your house quickly, like in a day, than get out of your year-long lease. I honestly, like that's, even in slow markets, it's not like there's a, a one year selling time. It's mm -hmm. usually in a slow market, you'd say 60 to 90 days on market, it would sit on the market, three months. So I, I, we're, we're working to try to educate a lot of millennials on those things. Like you can, like we have an advice page where you could go, you can type in how much you have in rent and we'll provide perspective on how much home you could buy mm -hmm. and then how fast you could sell it. And those are things that we think about, like to try to um, maybe change the perception that like buying a house has to be like your forever house. Like I, you know, I think we think, we think home buying and home ownership is the greatest wealth builder period. So that's kind of our angle. Like if you really want to go, you know, if you're a trader and you're trading on Robinhood and all these things like, well, look at you could do with home. And on average, it's appreciating maybe five to 7% on a big asset that you only have to put a small down payment on. Like, and now it's even appreciating more. Like, so. No, I get it. I mean, I'm a believer. I think, you know, describing it as maybe holding the same weight that it did as a cornerstone of the American dream. Hey, you should own a home. I think there are a lot of thinkers who are kind of challenging that and society is grappling with that. But uh, uh, I'm yeah. a true believer. Like you said, I'm on the older end of the millennial spectrum, starting a family, trying to buy in, a, in an area with a good school. Those are all considerations that I had when I decided to buy. So uh, I, I'm definitely a believer. I do want to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a company that was off my radar and then all of a sudden blew up my radar with a lot of things in the news and a very, very big sign on a very important building to the city. We'll be right back. Uh, this conversation is being brought to you by our friends over at Hairdrop. Hey, another startup supporting the show. I love it. Um, never visit the beauty supply store again. Order your beauty supplies from the Hairdrop app and have them delivered in an hour or less. I, I think I coined this phrase on the last partners meeting that hair a hair emergency doesn't have to turn into a hair disaster, all right? Hair Drop is like DoorDash for beauty products. Get your hair care, grooming tools, hair extensions, and more when you need them to ensure you look and feel your best at all times. Available for download from both the Apple and Google Play stores, get a beauty supply store in your pocket by visiting hairdrop.app and have your beauty delivered today. All right, and then finally from our friends over at Book & Street. Book & Street provides finance and accounting solutions for startups in the Midwest and beyond. From strategic financial support to bookkeeping and everything in between, they've got your back office covered. Let their experienced team of finance and accounting professionals help your startup get it right, right from the start. Learn more at bookandstreet.com and set up your free, I said it, free 30-minute consultation with their team today. All right, welcome back. We're going to continue this conversation with Dan Snyder, co-founder of Lower. All right, so now, I fancy myself somebody with his finger on the pulse of what's happening in Columbus 
and I completely miss lower. Then I'm on Instagram and I see these crazy people up in New Albany having a field day, right? Of employees completely jacked on whatever you give them. I think lots of coffee because I've been to your headquarters, <laughs> right? Having a great time, followed by two huge announcements. And I don't know which one came first, but lower.com field where the Columbus crew are going to be playing. And then the fact that you, your company raised a hundred million dollars, which set a record for a series A in the city. Where the hell were you guys <laughs> all this time? That's what I was saying. I, like, I, I think this starts with, um, like, no different than like, I think that I, I would, I could talk till I was blue in the face that like a career in mortgage banking and real estate's awesome. Like just as good as pharmaceutical sales or healthcare, not that they're bad, they just like think they they get a lot more maybe like favorite or credit than our industry. The same thing could be said with our, our brand and company in Columbus. Like, I, like outside of my friends, like everyone, we would call it, hey, you know, you know we're almost up to 2,000 employees and everyone's like, never heard of you. And so um, we were looking at, and it wasn't for lack of trying to get ourselves out. It's just that, you know, we're not a, you know, we're not a, a you know, a generational company here in Columbus. We're not a, um, you know, publicly facing that often, right? It's like you use us maybe once every couple of years to buy or sell your house or what have you. And, um, and we were looking to try to create a, some brand awareness um, not just to, you know, to help with our recruiting, but to capture more market share. I mean, Columbus is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. I, I think there's billions and billions of home loan transactions, and we were capturing like a fragment of them. And so, you know, we were, we're doing some TV, we did, you know, and then this opportunity, I get like literally, I, I get a phone call from like a sales rep, and all of my other like, friends that own companies were just the, the day before they're saying got my suite at the, the stadium's gonna be amazing and it looks so modern like and i heard they're all sold out and i was like wait what i needed my suite like oh my god i need to get this and so i had a you know i i, I told my team I'm like be on the lookout for the columbus crew like, make sure that a phone call gets to me because so was the, did they create some scarcity for you? I mean, were you gonna buy a suite the whole time because you're this huge Columbus Crew soccer fan? Or when you realize like what happened in the market where I was like buying a home, what happens in mortgage markets, did that happen to you with the Columbus uh, Crew suite situation? No, we just knew that the stadium was set to be amazing. I mean, okay. I think that the, the whole idea, and we didn't want to miss out. Like, we wanted to have our team go down there and, like, be right. a part of the whole thing. Like, right. we, we didn't want to miss out. Okay. All as right. a company. Like, we were like, we're definitely getting a suite. Okay. And, uh, and so, the guy calls me up and was like, I'm like, okay, great. You know, I, what suites are available? He's like, well, I don't represent the suites, but um, how about the naming rights to the stadium? I'm like, come on. Well, that has to be taken. It's got to be like a name of a company that is like 
been here for 100 years. The name on the shirts, on the jerseys, right? right? Just put the name on the stadium too. Exactly. Right. That's what I said. And uh, he's like, nope. Yeah, we're, we're running the process and we're exploring all angles. And uh, I'm like, I, you know. So I threw our name in the ring and went down this journey of like ed- educating myself about naming rights, educating myself about soccer. I never, you know, candidly never went to a game. And uh, I, clearly I was like very happy and in, um, that they stayed in Columbus. Mm-hmm. That was a, like, been horrible. Um, and then, you know, like when it got down to it, there's a lot of competition. Um, but when it got down to it, like we had final push. And you're trying to like reconcile like the investment and it's hard to draw a straight ROI and all these things. A friend of mine was like, look, you are either going to be a brand or you're not. And the middle is just not good. You don't want to be in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's win this deal. And so we, we ended up winning it and uh, got everything we wanted. I mean, it's been an amazing partnership. The ownership group, the Haslam's, the Edwards. I mean, like, I, I don't just say that to say it. They're just genuinely amazing. Amazing people, amazing for the city, the investment in that stadium and their passion. I mean, like the Haslam's come to like every game, every game I look over and there's, you know, Jimmy and Dee Haslam, their whole family at every crew game. And they've got the Browns going on and they've got busy lives. And I don't know, those are things that you can tell by the the stadium itself. And it's something we want to associate ourselves with. Mm -hmm. So you take that plus what it means to the city and then plus what it means to our company, mm-hmm. you know? Like, so it's been a... So, you know, what's so interesting about that development on that side of the city? So what part of the city would you technically call that? Like where the new stadium is and that, that, that's still down district. to Arena District kind of, right? Yeah, it's on Nationwide. They, they're calling it something new, I think. Astro Park, is that... I'm not sure. I need to find out. It's, it looks, I think Pizzuti's doing a development. It looks amazing. Okay, so I haven't been down there yet. But what I think is so interesting is that you have our legacy companies that make up the skyline, and then you have these two startups, Cover My Meds, yep. Lower.com Field, representing kind of the, the startup in this emerging ecosystem of the new big brands in the city. Yeah. You'd gotten this far, right? And, and you didn't, you waited to raise a round. Why was it important to raise a round now? And why do you think there was so much interest in investing in lower at this time? So it, both of these things were so independent. Uh, we had the, the stadium, we were talking to them, we're going through that stuff. Um, and then independently, um, we went out and it was really kind of happenstance. Like, it, you know, we had bootstrapped the company for seven years with this uh, kind of core tenant of profitability, which is not always the case, I think. And, uh, but we were profitable, we're growing. And then um, a friend of mine who had a late stage startup, I mean, like a, uh, like we're a seven year overnight success to some extent. Like, I think this, this, uh, this gentleman, had uh, his company was even longer than that. 
but they were a tech company. They got some funding from uh, a VC firm. And I was talking to him and he was like, well, walk me through your numbers. And so I told him our revenue numbers and our production and our kind of roadmap, very high level. And he was like, holy smokes, like you guys are the best kept secret in FinTech, period. And uh, I'm like, really? Like, okay. He's like, you should talk to uh, a, a few people. And he put me in touch with, um, uh, he goes, talk to this one guy first. And he started Venmo and he's like the smartest guy I've ever met. And if you get past him, this is a true story. You get past him, you're onto something. <laughs> so just imagine like this guy went to Harvard and Princeton. I went to you know, OU and like came from Akron. So it, it, there's a little bit of a, am I ready for this? Is this big leagues? And it was over Zoom and I had to come up with like a pitch deck. And so the pitch deck was, I think it did look good, but it was just, it just had our numbers on it. It had, here's who we are. Here's what we stand for like as a company. Like we're a pretty good company. Here's our market. And then here's our success. Like this is what we're doing, we're trying to do. And I think, um, I think you know, I'm sure that there's probably some early stage companies and seed stage companies where they haven't proven it yet. But we were in this like really interesting kind of zone where um, no different than what's happened to like Robinhood in investments and Chime Bank and Neo Banking. You're starting to see that happen now in mortgage mm-hmm. um, with uh, Better, SoFi. And so I, I ended up, I think within less than 30 days of talking to venture capital folks in Silicon Valley over Zoom, um, we ended up getting six or seven term sheets and end up, ended up going with Excel. They're a blue chip. I mean, they've got, they're like legendary. And um, the managing partner that I'm working with is from Ashland, Ohio, understands Columbus, huge fan. I think he got married in Columbus. And um, I just felt good about that too. Like this, you know, he wants Columbus to win. I want Columbus to win. You know, he's out in San Francisco and he's also saw, you know, a huge future for lower. Mm -hmm. And it just was a, and they were a big enough fund to write a hundred million dollar check. Because you know, at, at, at some at some point we were, we had talked to a bunch of VCs. They just couldn't write the big checks. So let me ask you a question. Thirty days, seven term sheets. Do you feel like you're riding a wave? Like at this point, you're now on a thirty foot wave, and you gotta surf this thing. Because it, it, you, you, what is that feeling like? Like, you know, I love surfing, I love building companies, and now I'm gonna get, do you feel like you're now on the lower wave and this thing is kind of taking you where it's gonna go? So there's this, um, I think it's like a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. That I, I have it everywhere in my office. And it's, the, our greatest want in life is to, have someone make us do what we can. And I don't really have like that proverbial boss necessarily, but I think it's just continuing to have these maybe external pressures, do what I can. Like maybe I can't do it. I think I can, Um, but 
I, I challenge, uh, like, that's a kind of a mantra we have at, at work. It's like, your manager isn't, their job's not to protect you. Because I, I feel like that's often the killer of career path. It's like the manager saying, well, Julie, she, she doesn't have the bandwidth. She doesn't have the bandwidth to take that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Or Tommy, he's just too buried. So we're not going to challenge the person. And the same thing could be said in this, like, you know, I, I, I just try to, I, riding the wave is just part of being a, whether it's a, a leader, mm-hmm. not just an entrepreneur. I mean, there's probably lots of people that are riding big waves at publicly traded companies where they're a hired gun or they're a hospital system going through COVID or they're, and you just, the, what you don't want to do is get scared. And then you like fall down in that wave. Mm-hmm. You just got to keep sailing, keep on going. And a little know, bit of don't look down. Don't look down. I mean, my God. <laughs> I mean, so, and then you just got to be real. Just like right. that time when I was being very real with, that, with Brian, Brian BZ back in the day. Like, I'm very real. Like, I, I now have to, like, report like, quarterly earnings to our board. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do that before. And so I just did it, and I told them full stop. I'm like, look, it's going to get better. It's going to get more on time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I don't know what else to tell you, but, like, I, it's not like I had represented that we were ready to be a publicly traded company or something. Mm-hmm. I just said, hey, look, we're, we're a well-ran company that's doing our best and we'll continue to do more. And now with some extra, um, maybe some money behind us and some great, a great partner that's got tons of connections and sees a lot in us, mm-hmm. like we'll be able to help our, our team do more. Let me ask you a question. So you pitch them, here's who we are, here are our numbers, but there's the proverbial, what are you gonna do with the money? Yeah. You got $100 million. What are you gonna do with the money? I mean, like, we, we kind of have it like tucked away. Like, hopefully we don't need to use it. I mean, I, I guess we're like, obviously the, 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 the easy answer is, you know, invest in our brand. Like it, it had nothing to do with the stadium. And yet they're like, this is the type of thing we want to do. Not stadiums necessarily. Like, please don't call me. I'm not going to advertise in more stadiums. Like, I, I, just because we did it once in Columbus, this is our hometown. It's mm-hmm. a very rare opportunity. Like I got blasted by every sports agent. You want to sponsor, you want to be the naming rights on this stadium in Seattle? I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I don't. So, but we're going to build the brand up create more consumer, demand gen, get more customers in our ecosystem, um, invest a, a, a ton into technology, into making the process easier for our consumers to get a loan that will ultimately benefit our channel partners. So if we can get that manufacturing process as tight as possible, instant type mortgage with an ease and simplicity, like that's what we're gonna invest in. And, um, um, it's exciting. I mean, like, and I had, I think that, like, we're a well-performing company. I had asked um, the, uh, Excel, and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of VCs. Like, it's like the deal they don't do is the worst deal. You know, they see a deal, they like the team. You take a chance on the team. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that we're probably a, a safer bet, a little bit. I mean, we're a well-performing company. You know, we were a perennial best place to work in the country multiple times. Like, and 
Um, and now imagine what we'll do with $100 million. Mm -hmm. Because we, it's hard to compete with, I mean, Rocket, I mean, they've been around for a while. Plus, they, they go and raise billions of dollars through municipal bonds. Better.com raised, has raised more money than we've ever spent in our entire lifetime. And it's hard to you know, compete um, with that. And we have been able to. But now, you know, game on. So one of the things that um, you have to think about when you're taking on investor money is whether or not they're going to let Dan be Dan and let lower be lower. Sometimes that changes. And you said you just made your first report and it's gonna get better and I get it. But there are gonna be certain metrics that maybe you never had to measure before that you have to measure now. How do you keep lower is lower what you've built and how do you stay you? Well, I think first, if, you're, if you are a company like us and you're gonna take investment, I think you've, you've gotta do an equal amount of due diligence on the investor. Like, is the investor known for change of leadership and all the, like, because there are some. Mm -hmm. and, and do you get along with people? Like, I, I, there are some, candidly, that were big names I didn't get along with, really. Um, and what I found was that Excel was very used to, like, bootstrapped, founder-led co-founders that have been in business for a while. And so they knew there's a level of patience. Like, we weren't, it's not like I'm, a professional pitch man. Like, I've built a business up with my partners and my team. You know, I haven't been pitching other investors. So there's, now I have to get better at that and understand, but that's, a, that's not hard. I mean, and so I think that like, so I went and looked at some of the other portfolio companies, Qualtrics, it's a huge company, mm -hmm. went public, Atlassian, um, you know, um, Galileo, and they're all, bootstrap companies that, that were just raved about Excel. And so that was number one. And number two, you know, look, I think, um, I, you know, I think I've got to perform and our company's got to perform. And, but that, wasn't, that, has, that's, that has nothing to do with $100 million. Like, we, like my expectations were the same before that, right? I mean, it's just like, we're gonna perform for our, our team and our customers and our, our employees. Like, I don't, I don't wanna fail. I, I don't, I don't wanna fail for the families that work for us more than the $100 million. Like, mm -hmm. those guys will be fine. I mean, let's be honest, they're gonna have billions of dollars. Like, I, I'm more like worried about making sure that we're just doing a good job to, you know, like ride the storms, right? Like, yeah. So that's a perfect segue into <laughs> working at lower, right? Having that concern. So it's always heavy as the head that wears the crown, right? So you're thinking, it's one, one, one way of thinking is, hey, I gotta make sure I protect this $100 million. The other way of thinking is the way you've probably always had to think, which is this thing needs to work because I've projected a vision to the people working here that five years from now, 10 years from now, if you take this leap with me, this is where, where we're gonna be. What is it? I mean, I visited Lower, all right, and you can feel the buzz in the building. You know, if you guys never get a chance to go to Lower, you can go to the Instagram page and get a taste for what it's like working there. But what were you thinking about as you were building out your team, you were scaling quickly about the culture at Lower, and, and what is it like to work there, in your opinion? So I, I think we, we I, would, I would frame it up as just, I mean, I think a couple of things. Number one, like we really, we are a mission-driven company. 
I mean, our, our, our goal is to make homeownership more accessible and everyone believes in that. And so I think that does help. Um, I think number two, we've got uh, four core values that like, aren't just for the HR pamphlet. Like we literally, I think like, other companies that do this, I think benefit too, but we will hire and fire and promote and demote based on them. And it's, it sums up our culture, high performance, doesn't matter if your account's payable or you're in sales, like we expect high performance. We don't expect illegal activity. We expect high performance. Like you're gonna come in, you're gonna do the work and you're gonna do it better than the accounts payable person or the controller at the other company. Like that's just what we are. Like we're gonna be a winning team and that resonates. Uh, there's a high give a shit factor is one of ours, which is, it's basically just saying like, like, you care about our customer or our teammate. Like, you're not just going to leave at five if we've got a customer closing their home. Like, that's where, that's where companies just get killed. Because, you know, you know, Joe leaves at five o'clock in the closing department and you're left out in the driveway and then everyone's mad at you and it's just bad. Mm -hmm. It's bad for everybody. Um, independent thinkers tightly aligned. So you have to have a company like that we're like, we're aligned to do this. Like we're going to, like we're going to work in the office, like safely. But we're going to work in the office. Like, if you want to completely work remote, then it's be hard to work maybe at our headquarters. You could work in, in other areas of our business. But or if you want to be an airline pilot, one day that's fine. It's just not the path you'll find here. Um, and like our core values sum it up to a point where. Our last one is optimism. And so like if you're negative, which this is the number one reason people complain like about their teammates, is because it's just too much negativity. And we just figure out a way to then like let those people go. Mm -hmm. If you're that negative, maybe it's time for you to leave. Like go work somewhere else. And so I think all that summed up creates this good culture. And I think the leader has to believe in it. Like you have to have you have to be willing to have the field days. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. It just, it does take some time out and you've got to kind of optimize around it. Like, I think you have to be willing to like allow people to have fun. And if you're not good at it, assign people to do it. And then just be open to um, the fact that not everyone's going to always have fun together. This is always another thing too. It's like, it, this department's having a happy hour today? Like, what about our department? Well, okay. So you don't want them to have fun today? Like, you'll have your fun. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I, I, honestly, like, I think that's where a lot of big companies, they, they literally, for sake of fairness, have horrible cultures. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, like, um, but, I, you know, like, selfishly, I mean, I love a great culture, but I love a great company. That's my, I optimize to performance because, you show me a bad, like you, show me a, like a, a winning culture with a horribly performing company. I haven't seen them. Mm -hmm. So if you're winning, like you've already met half the battle. Then you just to be normal. Like, you know, like if we, we on our glass door page, if we get bad reviews, like, I'll, I'll, like we have Friday big Zoom calls, I'll just read them out loud. This person says that we don't have enough refrigerators for the food. Well, we don't. So get some refrigerators or, or I don't know, like, uh, that, but we really do that stuff. I mean, it, 
you know, it's too far of a drive out to New Albany. I, I get it. Trust me. Like, and your coffee kiosks had to come from a complaint. Like, it's too far to walk downstairs, so we need an- another coffee kiosk. I mean, so we, 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 we try, and then, like, and, and if, and it's not for everybody. Like, right. we're, we're not perfect. And I just think that the more you can just, to some extent, get off your high horse and, like, okay. my biggest fear is saying these things and then having our team watch or we win an award and then having the team be like, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. This award, we are not the best place to work. We suck. Now, a couple people that are really negative say that or whatever. But like, if the majority overwhelming people are like, this place is not good, like that kills me. Well, the one, the one test, um, this is informal, but it's just, just an observation. How many people are wearing the gear? And the, the percentage of people... <laughs> who are wearing lower gear at lower is insane. It's like every department I walk through, you know, it felt like to me that people are bought into the culture. And I think in a growing ecosystem like Columbus, Ohio, there's a little bit of cannibalism that happens with talent as all of these companies start to scale simultaneously. And if you have two offers on the table, usually the tiebreaker is culture. Is this a place that I can work and have the work-life balance or the kind of camaraderie that I'm looking for? Do they value me? Do I feel welcome, et cetera? And I think you guys are doing a lot of things right from the periphery of just what I saw and the time that I've spent there and the team and getting you here and all of that. I had that experience firsthand. Final question. What's next for Lower? What's next? I mean... So I, I think that we've hit on some of this. I mean, we've now got like a great team, great culture. Um, we've got some capital and new institutional partners to help us. But you know, look, our mission is to be number one. I, we want to be um, the like the first place people think of when they think of home ownership, not especially in Columbus, like it shouldn't be the guys up in Michigan at Rocket. It should be, yeah, lower. Like I'll go to lower. I'll go sell my house, buy a new house, get some insurance, plan for my future. Um, you know, we want to be number one. So we, we've got a long way to go to invest in, in, our, in our core product to make it easier for consumers, um, build out our servicing so that it's best in class and it's easy and people are like raving about their experience. And just continue to kind of do what we do. Just keep it real. Be open-minded um, uh, to feedback from our customers or our team. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's something that we do regularly and we really do change, like, quickly. Like, if it's a consistent. So follow the roadmap, you know? I mean, uh, and then have fun along the way as, as much as we can. With, uh, and hopefully we can stay working together. We don't have to go back remote. Yeah. A- I like it, man. And I, I think you're, you're on your way. Um, you know, the mortgage purchase only happens a few times during someone's life. You know, maybe three times, let's say. Even if you're scaling up and then scaling down if you raise a family, right? But you're also adding on other brands like we'll be your insurance company along with that or we'll, you know, renter's insurance, or will be your savings bank. I noticed that you guys now yeah. have a savings product. So you're, 
you're looking to be the household name, not just for mortgages, but across the financial services spectrum. So the encounters with the brand are going to be more frequent. And then that's where you get into the customer service and support of really keeping somebody for a lifetime. I think that's going to be one of the challenges, right? As you get more and more exposure to someone's financial life, the responsibility to that person on the customer service side, whereas you might have needed a lot of buildup on the loan side or getting the sales done, on the back end of that, the service side starts to grow once you become integral to someone's financial yeah. life. We want to be full, the full, you can't just leave them out to dry. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing too is like just making it more accessible and being there no matter where the consumer is. So like we, we haven't announced yet, but we will be in the next couple months some bit major partnerships where we'll be the, um, kind of the fulfillment and we'll help create home ownership for folks that are already maybe not using lower, but they could be using other fintechs um, and we'll provide that mortgage experience for those like, like a, like a SoFi or a Robinhood or someone else that's like, hey, you know what? We also believe in homeownership. They don't want to take on the arduous process of staffing and doing these things for the mortgage side of things, and we can take that for them as like a service offering. Uh, so we're thinking about things like that. Like, how else can we? You know, customers can come in through Lower.com, and they can come into a number of products. Customers can work through their local builder across the country and interact with um, one of our brands that connects into the lower system. And then maybe there's other, you know, B2B, there's actual other fintechs and consumer-facing places that have tons of customers. They don't yet offer the mortgage product, and they can come and connect into us. And then all of it together, you know, the economies of scale and we're living up to our mission, helping more it. people be uh, homeowners. Thank you, Dan. And I thank you so much, right, for being my first guest back in the studio after COVID. Really great conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Now I got to do my one takeaway. And, you know, there were so many gems in this episode, but the one thing that I'm going to take away and practice is the art of team building. The process by which you meet with someone, you, ex- you share your vision with them, you, you get them to join your team, you develop that person, and then you deliver on the promise that you initially made to them. So I'm wishing you luck, guys, out there. Hopefully this podcast has been very beneficial, and that's a wrap.